Welcome everyone to Becker's Healthcare Health IT and Revenue Cycle Management virtual event. My name is Brian Zimmerman. I'm the custom content editor with Becker's Healthcare. And our virtual panel today is titled, Who's Afraid of Big Bad Tech? How to Align Goals, Priorities, and Methods when Partnering with Tech Companies. So this has been an increasingly important topic for some time. Uh, in 2019, dozens of hospitals and health systems partnered with big tech, and these relationships will, of course, continue to evolve as COVID-19 transforms the industry in you know, a myriad of ways. And we've got a wonderful group of leaders here today to, to dive into this topic, and I'll ask each of them to introduce themselves here shortly, uh, and then we'll get into some questions I've prepared for the group. Uh, but first, I just want to take this time uh, at the top here to thank all of our panelists for coming together to share their expertise with us. Uh, during these challenging times. And so the, since these have been such trying, trying times, uh, in the spirit of solidarity, as our participants introduce themselves, uh, in addition to sharing a bit about their roles and organizations, I'll ask them to share a bit about maybe a win they're themselves or their team or their organization experienced in recent weeks. Uh, and Sandra, I'd love it, love it if you could kick us off. Thanks. Brian, I really appreciate it. So I'm Sandra Elliott. I'm the Vice President for Life Sciences and Innovation at Hackensack Meridian Health, which is a health network in uh, New Jersey, one of the largest. And uh, just to share a success, we got through a major, major uh, bout of COVID-19 uh, where our, our hospital staff and uh, care providers really struggled, but they made it through and we saved a lot of patients. And I can't think of a better win than that at this point in time. I would uh, definitely agree with that. And uh, Deanna, you want to go next? Yeah, I'm Deanna Wise. I'm the CIO with Banner Health. Uh, Banner Health uh, is ambulatory, acute, post-acute, and insurance as well. And so we are across six states, uh, Arizona, California, Colorado, or I'm sorry, Arizona, California, Nevada, Nebraska, and Wyoming currently. And we have about 52,000 uh, team members. Uh, a win that I would share is uh, recently we were awarded top 100 places to work by Computer World NIT, and amidst all of this, that was an exciting uh, award uh, recognition for our uh, engagement. Yeah, that definitely had to feel good. Um, Lynn, you want you want to round us off here? Certainly. <clears throat> I'm Lynn Gibson. I'm Vice President and Chief Technology Officer for Christocell. We're in three states in, in the U.S. Louisiana, Texas, and New Mexico, as well as we have facilities in the countries of Mexico, Colombia, and Chile. <clears throat> We've been experiencing some uh, interesting times here since we were seeing a resurgence in Texas. And our Chile facility was really hit hard. Uh, they're now starting to kind of level. So we're seeing a broad impact across all, all aspects of, of how this virus and this pandemic's impacting us. It's been a challenging time for a lot of people. As far as a win, uh, <clears throat> in a way, I guess I could, it kind of leads into some probably future conversations, but we were able to kind of anticipate this. Our uh, CEO is big on work from, being no work from home. He wants everybody in the office, seen and, and touch and feel. Uh, when this came in, uh, we actually had, had a team that we'd been building a framework. We had it all laid out. We were able to activate and move a lot of about three, I want to say about 3,000 people out to a work from home scenario uh, within the matter of a week. And it, you know, my team had to take had to take several safe breaths, but it worked really well. And 
and actually was uh, our board even recognized the responsiveness of that. So that was a real positive for my team and for us as a whole as an organization. Yeah, it sounds like a big, big transition there. And as somebody who's been working from home for months, my personal win today is I'm in a, a coat. I have this on, which is definitely the most dressed up I've been in months. I feel like I'm in top and tails basically right now. But uh, so with that, um, let's let's dive into our conversation. Lynn, I, I love it to stay with you just to kick things off and invite our, you know, um, Deanna, Sandra, feel free to chime in. Um, but the first question I have here is, can you describe your thinking around big tech partnerships and how has it evolved over the years? And if you think it hasn't necessarily changed that much, why not? I've been with Christus a little over eight years. I came out of uh, uh, a consulting engagement and I've been working with a couple of the big tech firms prior to that. I used to be in providers for a number of years. And so I kind of came in with a little bit of what I would call a already warped and jaundiced view of relationships with, with big tech. What I started looking at is where are we spending our money and, and trying to figure out which of our partnerships would we really want to invest in. From that, uh, it wasn't just about spending money. It started looking, I started looking at each one of their companies marketing future what they intended to do, go with and then <clears throat> tested a couple of them uh, to see when we had some critical problems were they able to step up even though it really wasn't in their area to help us and that's where it kind of formulated who's our real partner and that all kind of came to bear with this uh, situation that started with us back in March April uh, it became very clear who wanted to partner and who wanted to just build more sales and it's very defined as we went forward of who we're going to probably continue to work with as well. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Sandra, Deanna, uh, any, any of what Lynn said there resonate with you? Yeah, I think this, um, I think that the challenges that we're all facing uh, is probably really good to help really test um, those uh, partnerships in particular. And I think there is no better word than flexibility. An organization that you may partner with from a technology perspective that's willing to flex uh, and meet your needs, is, you know, uh, about responsiveness. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, uh, we can all have the partnerships that um, help us at a given point in time. But when there's crisis or there is a major challenge that um, we're facing, I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, the real partnerships um, become even more solidified, and I think you grow both um, uh, both entities grow from those partnerships and improve you know the ability to meet the needs, the clinical needs of the patients that we serve. Yeah, I, I would chime in and say that um, I, I know we had this topic planned um, before this pandemic uh, came about. Uh, but I can tell you that um, we have seen, as others, uh, overwhelming response from our um, partners wanting to step in and help and support and donate uh, time and hours and energy and ideas, um, realizing that this is a worldwide event and we're all trying to figure it out. And so I've been extremely impressed and do agree that um, some certainly shine through more than others of their willingness and adaptability. Um, to, to face different challenges than we've seen in our past. Yeah, I think three words that stuck out to me that I think everyone sort of mentioned in some way is adaptability, flexibility, responsiveness. I think that's what 
your organizations all are being asked to do right now. So it, it makes sense that your partners are going to have to come along with you and execute the same sort of way. So the next question I have then is like, what, what do you look for in terms of ROI in these partnerships and how is your thinking around that change? And can you share a bit about what these conversations look like from sort of both an internal and external perspective? And Deanna, we can start with you this time if you'd like. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, looking for partners that um, align our, on our values and mission is important. Uh, looking to drive value um, and how do, we, how do we leverage our key principles together. Uh, I think that, um, you know, someone coming forward and saying we want to be a partner isn't necessarily enough. It's um, what goals do we need to achieve? Who has the expertise? And how do we align the wins? Um, and how to, it has to be a win-win on both sides, not just um, the traditional vendor um, and provider relationship that we're all accustomed to, but we have to see benefit from it. And is there how much skin is going to go in the game to make sure that we all uh, recognize the benefits from it. Uh, Sandra, the, that skin in the game comment, does that resonate with you too? Like the, the alignment of absolutely. that sort of, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, if I had to come up with an ROI, you know, I think we are looking for, I'll call it a two to three X. And what I mean by that isn't necessarily just on the financial side of things, but also how is this particular partnership going to move the needle two to three times of the improvement that we need in either financial operational um, capabilities, use of capital, for example, uh, as well as our clinical um, and quality outcomes, because I think you know, for us, one of the things that we're very focused in on, uh, in addition, is the strategic objectives that we have for the next year to two years and staying on track with those. So our partners have to be able to um, help support um, uh, our ability to meet those specific objectives. And if we can't make those connections and begin to demonstrate an impact in those, then, or at least a tar, uh, kind of a pathway to understand how we're going to impact those outcomes. It's a much harder um, sell, uh, to say the least. Lynn, anything to uh, hook on there? Well, Sandra kind of stole some of my earlier thoughts about it being much more than a financial one, and, and Deanna laid out the grand work really well. I, I will tell you, I don't like measuring ROI uh, in financial terms. Uh, that, that's been something that was also a marker of every consultant I've ever dealt with who generally has an audit background in their organization. And I even struggled when I threw it at undergrad uh, conversations. To me, ROI plays out much broader sense. When we, when we start looking at what's their vision and where are they going, how are they innovating, what's their strategic line. I, I have, in the course of my time here at Crestus, invested in a couple of companies that were kind of new and they were growing and they looked like they were very good. And I returned what we were getting back and the value of engagement of them really was very strong. And suddenly they get bought and, and a new partner comes in and it's a bigger uh, company X and, and uh, they have an attitude that I will say is uh, south of where we were. Uh, we're. We no longer deal with them or I start looking for a replacement very quickly. And I make that journey very clear to the new company. And it's their decision if they want to continue to work with us or not. Financial is a big thing for healthcare right now because we've got such small margins. And with this crisis, that made it even worse. And everybody, I know everybody 
that's going to uh, watch this, everybody on this panel, we're all talking about our budgets these days and, and what's it going to take to reduce them. When I go back to a company who's, who's telling me, oh, well, we got a great deal with you and it's 3x what, we, what you were paying in your prior agreement, I, I'm telling them goodbye. And they'll say, well, it's a lot of pain to move. Not near the pain that you're paying me, that you're going to assess on me by upping my budget like that. And it's a hard conversation. It's very hard. And it being, my team gets a little upset with me when I tell them that we're going to give up vendor XYZ and you're going to start working a little bit longer to replace them. But that's where we are in this day and age. We can't be held hostage by some of these vendors. There's no way. Yeah, I want to... That's interesting, sort of like uh, how it can be a frustrating conversation with your team. You mentioned, I think that that points to a question I was planning on asking a little bit later in the conversation, but I think this might be a good time to sort of pivot to that. Um, and so given this current fiscal environment, uh, you know, it's, it's tough out there. Um, so considering those limitations, how can you sort of maintain a culture of innovation at these organizations? Lynn, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about that and maybe like, you know, how those conversations with your teams are, are going. One of the uh, fondness uh, of our environment today, uh, the, at the beginning of this year, I got a new boss just months before this uh, COVID pandemic hit. Uh, nothing like that being a transition moment. But he made a very fond statement uh, that I'm, I, I've attached myself to that he, he said, innovation is an unusual term. Uh, he goes, we, we have so much technology that we don't take advantage of. Right now, I would bet at any given point in time, we maybe only utilize 40 to 60% of the power of the tools we've already invested in. And that's what I've had my team, and I'm challenging them all back to go back and look at what is it we don't use and what is it we have used. In fact, just this morning, I had this conversation with uh, our EMR team where the uh, point is, is this aspect of particular the software turned on or not? And if it's turned on, what are we doing with it? Because it's, it feeds right into innovation because it was a research tool. So that's what we're trying to try to excite our team into doing, looking at what you can do new with what you have. I do think what's interesting with healthcare CIOs, um, you know, I reflect back on uh, the book of, um, that Martha Heller wrote, the, the CIO Paradox of how do we innovate um, with less budget. And so I think what's different in a healthcare CIO's toolbox than probably a corporate America typical CIO is that we're, we are, you know, to Lynn's point, used to living on shoestrings and bolting and bubble gum and, and band-aiding things together. Uh, but it's also about leveraging our costs down in that continuous cycle of always looking for what are the tools that we can consolidate and it's not a it's not a one and done for us. This is a you know every six month routine where we're constantly evaluating and and looking at instead of um, it's time to renew one of those big contracts and saying you know your licenses increase. It's it's about seeing what the usage is and removing those licenses from people that aren't really leveraging the product. And so it's a continuous cycle. But I think it's something we're kind of accustomed to in my mind. Um, and not something that's new um, based on this um, pandemic. 
Yeah, I think in addition to that, you know, one of the things that's been um, kind of unique, and I, I feel a different role than uh, most people on this call, but I think one of the things is really tying um, technology and innovation um, back to what are those goals and objectives that we have clinically and making sure that everybody understands that everything that we're doing is to provide a certain level of clinical care and improve outcomes. And then driving backwards to going back to the, the comment of Lynn, making sure that we know what we have already that can we haven't leveraged to try and uh, address some of those clinical challenges, whether it be reducing infections or improving clinical outcomes and surgery, whatever it is, how are we using what we have today and why aren't we using everything that we have today? And that begins to help us frame the innovative strategy that we may need to pursue or that we've got the innovation right in our, our own capability that we're just not leveraging. And I think one of it, and I'm just going to go back to um, uh, on, the, on the innovation side and investment, and I, I think one of the things that we, we have to keep pushing is that innovation is really about people. Um, without people, there is no innovation. We can have technology, but it's how we use, how we interpret, and how we implement things. And going back to Lynn's comment about making sure that people understand and engage, even though it may mean a little extra work um, because we can't stay with a vendor for whatever purpose, tying that, that person's role directly to why we're doing what we're doing and how their role is going to impact our ability to change moving forward, not just to sustain, but to actually improve and change, I think is a critical component. And I think in, a lot of times we have a tendency to forget, you know, uh, about the people. And, and if we don't have good people that we're constantly really trying to engage in creativity and thinking differently and kind of passionately owning what we're trying to accomplish, it's a lot harder um, uh, to manage uh, applications, for example, when you do need to change or leveraging existing technology that maybe needs to be capitalized on differently. Yeah, I, I, so can, I, I just have ahead, to jump yeah. in because I'm just so passionate about we are a services department and without the people, we can't do anything. And, and making sure that the dots are connected and they understand and we empower them uh, to help us make those decisions and not just influence all the way. It's not always from the top down. Many times the best decisions come from the people that are right there in the field working on the systems. And it's important that we align them and they understand and they feel empowered to help and, and assist and drive it. This conversation just makes me think about a little bit of a follow-up here. Um, so, like as Lynn's talking about, like really making use and optimizing the the technology you already have. Does having that people-focused mentality kind of make that easier to do? Like if you're engaging, uh, coming from a clinical perspective, remembering that this is about patients, and remembering it's about the people who are working there. If you're if you're coming at it with that mindset, does it just, does it make it a little bit easier to identify where you can optimize and use the technology you already have better? I would say most definitely. Um, and, and what's interesting about our field is we all use healthcare. And so we all can come with that voice of, wow, look what I just experienced. You know, can, that's not what we want to experience. How do we change this? Or wow, that was a great experience. How do we make sure we're scaling it across our whole enterprise? And, and it's just a continuous cycle of that, of engaging team members and building those relationships where people have, feel like they have a voice to raise the voice and make a difference, not just say, oh, somebody else has got that. I'm not gonna worry about it. Yeah, I would have to really agree because 
in this day and age, <clears throat> well, first off, I, I've got a little bit of an odd background for the job I have today. I used to be the head of a medical research institute for several years and had that innovation challenge. And, it, and when I came here, uh, being more of a community-based hospital or organization, uh, it was a little bit of a trying time to understand, to get my people engaged in innovation and make them start thinking something new out of the box. But it came <coughs> early on, something happened and it, it sort of helped ignite others. I had one of our field support technicians inside the hospital uh, happened to go through a, a waiting area in one of the sections of the hospital and he noticed a, a, a family having a little bit of a struggle. He started talking to them and they were trying to figure out how to communicate with other family members that couldn't be present. And <clears throat> next thing I know in about 24 hours, we had set up a, a remote televideo thing for them. And this was before telehealth took off on us. So uh, it suddenly got everybody excited about other opportunities. And it came from talking to patients, not from our fellow te technology whiz kids. It actually came, the idea was motivated out of the patients and it reignited everybody why we're in this business. When <clears throat> being in IT is one thing, being in healthcare IT, I've always said is another. We have a different calling and a different passion. We could certainly all be making more money somewhere else and probably not be having these kind of challenging days we're having if we were outside of healthcare. Excellent. I appreciate you both weighing in there on that one. And I, I do want to have a couple more questions I have I want to get to before we, we sign off here. Um, so speaking about partnerships, and I, I know when you just mentioned telehealth, and technology is obviously played a big role in a lot of the COVID-19 response. So I wonder if we can talk a bit more specifically about you know, what role have, have these partnerships played in your organization's initial response uh, to the crisis? And what do you think you need from your partners more of moving forward? Um, Sandra, we can start with you on this one. You know, it's, it's an interesting um, component to think about, particularly, uh, you know, and I'll use telehealth as the, the example kind of, um, you know, our partners were there to help us um, and really work with us. But I, in all honesty, you begin to realize where the the gaps in technology and knowledge around the use of technology uh, exist. Uh, when you're really pushing the envelope and the capacity of what you have, um, you know, there's only so much the strategic partner can do. And, and, you know, we, just like everybody else, I'm sure, even though we were pushing the technology and leveraging it to its max with the partners that we had, we still had to um, create workarounds and workarounds that enabled our physicians and clinicians, for example, to be able to much more uh, readily participate without a lot of hassle. They just did not have the time for um, hassle. So anywhere that there was a hassle um, or where we had to create a workaround, it, uh, we, we leveraged that now to begin to understand how do we need to change those um, connections, those, the, and I'll use the term loosely, networks, in such a way that our partners, while they could not make that um, help us in those scenarios and they helped the best they could, how do we overcome the, those challenges that we face when we had to scale extremely uh, quickly? Because um, you know, any of our partners, they had the same challenges with other health systems as well. 
in helping them scale. So sometimes you just, you know, you have to deal with the um, uh, the lion in the room, so to speak, and, you know, necessity is the mother invention. So we've tried to figure out how do we learn from that and how do we change where we're going uh, as a result of that? Because we know that it's always going to be a challenge, or at least it'll be a challenge for uh, probably a coming decade just to overcome some of the, the existing um, lack of knowledge, lack of use, um, uh, under, not understanding how to make it work in a, a normal workflow um, that technology can uh, kind of, can kind of take take on, and so from that, hopefully, we'll we'll actually uh, be able to uh, work with our partners to overcome those challenges, and if not, find other partners who are willing to help us in that arena. Arena. Anybody else want to want to hook on there? Sort of, are you running into similar? lack of knowledge problems, uh, challenges, scaling, uh, looking for partners to help with that in the future? Well, I think our traditional complaint of interoperability um, has really come to light as, as we've tried to share data with our state agencies and CDC and, and others. Uh, and I think what's going to be even more relevant when it comes to interoperability uh, in, in this next wave of how do we ensure um, a patient has the ability to go um, what, what, what do they prefer? Do they want to go closest to their house? Do they want an appointment within, you know, an hour? Do they want to go? And we have to drive our systems and our um, insurance uh, to be able to have that interoperability so that we can make it easier for our patients. And we aren't there yet today. And we have to figure that out. Lynn, I think you're on mute. If you unmute yourself, we'll hear you. Uh, it's always good when a technology guy can't work the technology, right? It happens to all of us. It happens to everyone so, sooner or later. Uh, as I was listening to Sandra's comments, I started uh, hearing a, a phrase that came out of the Marine Corps is that, you know, you, you, you adapt, you improvise, and you overcome. And that seems to be uh, one of our constant phrases. I'm real involved with the Boy Scout program here in Dallas, and, and I've we have another phrase in there about being super Gumby, you know, the little stretch toy that you have to come back. That seems to be our life. When we find, to Deanna's point about the interoperability, I mean, we've already had that problem with patients coming in from odd places that they get stuck because they can't travel. And they, they're suddenly here and we don't have their patient records. And How can we get their patient records in so that the doctors and the nurses can treat the patient correctly? We've come up with some temporary fixes based upon the circumstance about what it was going to take, but there's got to be some better standard coming down the road. Well, it's uh, been a fascinating conversation so far, and I definitely want to leave some time for, for each of you to share one or two uh, key takeaways with, with our audience. Uh, Lynn, we can stick with you to start. If you want to just give us one or two quick takeaways there to, to cap off your thoughts for the day. One of the things I've been dealing with of late is uh, just general morale issues. People are, are saying, you know, when are we going to go back to normal? And, I'm, and I have gotten to a point where I'm telling them this is the normal. If you're waiting for us to come up with a fix that brings us back to the way things were in February, uh, that's just not going to happen. Things have changed and moved on already. And it's time for us to start grabbing hold of reality and say, let's start planning going forward with what we have. Even though we may have reduced resources, reduced 
scenarios and restrictions around what we have, that doesn't mean that we're stuck with where we are. We've always been very innovative. We will always be very innovative, as long as we keep the right mindset. That's great. Deanna, you wanna go next? Yeah, I, I would just, um, I have to say, you know, thank you to our frontline um, clinical care workers and, and our um, behind the scenes care workers as well, because this has been uh, everybody in and um, people taking on tasks that aren't part of their normal job and um, pulling in for support where we need to. And so just appreciation for that is what I would share um, and gratefulness. Thank you, Deanna. Uh, Sandra, final word. I think, you know, as, as Dan said, you know, our frontline workers are really uh, superstars. And I think we have to continue to celebrate um, what they have done and what they've accomplished and, and how they all came together and really began to kind of reinvigorate the purpose of why we're all here, which is to help people um, uh, at, at different levels, not only clinically, but, you know, support them in very different ways than we've ever done before. And I think, as Lynn mentioned, we're, this is the new normal. Uh, we'll modify it um, and we'll take advantage of the great sides of the new normal, like all of us not having to wear, you know, coats and jackets every day now. <laughs> but I think that, you know, we, we have to just take the moment to celebrate um, and continue to celebrate small wins for everybody and every time they've been creative to overcome the challenges. And I think, you know, that resilience is, is built from being able to constantly take the good and, and run with it. And I think that's what we just have to remember uh, about this time period. Yeah, it's really about uh, noticing those silver linings and leaning into the challenge, right? I, uh, I really appreciate all of you taking the time, Lindy, Anna, Sandra, it really was a great conversation. And thank you, everyone, for, for joining us today. Uh, so thank you so much. Be safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks.